We're just gonna ask them to do something uh, kind of spontaneous here, just keep playing uh, for just a second because I just, I had this thought this morning uh, just before I walked onto the platform. And, uh, and so we'd go ahead and kind of bring the house lights up and, and uh, go ahead and transition so we can see each other. But I, I wonder how many of you, you say, man, I love wearing these things. This is awesome. Like, this is my lifelong dream to walk around like a bank robber. How many of you just love this so much? I, I don't even have to ask. I know. How many of you just wish we could be done with it? We all would say, yes. Oh, it's no, it's no fun. But uh, last night, I, and this, is, this has nothing to do with politics. It's just a statement that last night, uh, as I was getting ready for bed to get ready to c- come to the church, I was watching the whole thing in the United States. And and, uh, and Biden and Harris and, and where they were, you know, talking about the election and, and masses of people had gathered together. And did you see the election cover coverage were all across the United States in large cities. There were people gathered on the streets and they were dancing and they were cheering and they were celebrating. And, and whatever you think about that, listen, that's not my point. My point is they were excited because they thought that there is somebody who can make a difference to make their lives better. Now, whether you believe that they're right or not, that's not my point. And because the argument is, there is no individual on this earth who can do for you what only Jesus can do. And the thought that I had, listen, listen, oh, get ready, get ready. The thought that I had was this, that I think what I have, what it's felt like for me since the government started mandating this and we have to like wear these to church and all that kind of stuff. And I just feel like so many times people are coming, we're just kind of sitting like this, right? Like there's just kind of a heaviness in the room. It's almost like there's a, there's a masking that is more than just a physical thing, that there's just kind of, a, kind of a heaviness when you go to places. But I'm here to say, just like people may be dancing on the streets thinking that some president is gonna bring salvation into their lives, but we're here to say and declare with even more fervor, and we can do it because we got masks on. We can shout at the top of our lungs and declare that we serve a savior who is in fact the conquering king, who alone can do the very thing that we need. Let's give him some praise in the house today. Don't be masked. Lift up his name. Give him the glory that he deserves today. Let's make sure that we don't allow the, 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 the yuckiness of this season to put a veil over our praise. Okay, are you ready to study God's word today? We're all done. Thank you. That was awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, uh, before we get into uh, our study, uh, today, what I want to do is uh, just read to a little note that I got before we get into our, our Bible teaching, and we've got so much to cover, so I don't want to take too long. But here is a testimony that we got this week from Celebrate Recovery, and uh, this woman says, thank you to all who have supported me on this journey. That's you, Moncton Wesleyan. It is your tithes and offerings, your ministry, investment, your serving that make this ministry possible for our community. And she says, I have been through things that people thought would make me relapse again, but this time is different because I have God and I have support from so many people. I would like to thank my sponsor and to thank you, Caitlin Mann. Way to go, Caitlin Mann. Everybody, thank you, Caitlin Mann, who invited me to celebrate recovery. The power of invitation. That's why it's like, Joe, why you always tell us get out our phones and invite people? Because it's the power of invitation. If you don't invite somebody, they don't have the opportunity to be exposed to the life-changing power of Jesus. 
So thank you to Caitlin who invited her to celebrate recovery. She says, it has saved me and changed my life. We're making a difference in sharing the transformational love of Jesus in our community. One more time, let's give praise to God today. Okay, now, we are in this new series that we started last week. What is God like? Who is God really? And we started with this big question last week. I, I asked you if you had to pick just one word, what would it be? If you had to, to strip away all the candy-coated descriptions of God and the ideas that people have and just get into the Bible and try to narrow it down to maybe not just one or, or two characteristics, but, but like literally the all-encompassing word that the Bible uses to describe all the things like God is love, God is good, God is gracious, God is, is, is powerful, God is omniscient. But if you were to take all of those things and summarize them into just one single word, we made the argument last week that the, the Bible word for that is holy. God is holy. Now, if you were not here last week, I really want to encourage you, if you missed that online, folks, to, to go online and watch that. Not right now. You can wait until after. But, but catch up because I think that message on the holiness of God and what that means and what it means for us is maybe one of the most important messages about God that I've ever done. But today we're going to, going to tackle a new question. What we're going to look at today is this. It's the question... What does God care about most? Because here's why that's important. If you can figure out what a person cares about, you can learn a lot about that person. And so if you had to name that one thing that God cares about more than anything else, what would you say? It's kind of, kind of a hard question, isn't it? And so I thought about it, and, and, and if we were to talk about it, I think there are a lot of good answers that, that people might give. We might say that it, is, uh, that it is truth and his word. After all, the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. And so maybe, maybe truth in his word is what God cares about most. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe because God is a trinity, a Trinitarian God, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship for all of eternity. And so what maybe God cares about most is relationship and community and that we all just get along in peace and unity. Or maybe, maybe somebody might say, well, since the Bible is a history the record of God's relationship with human beings and how even though we have sinned against him, he continues to pursue us and how he continues to, to, to seek to bring us into reconciliation to be restored in our relationship with him. Maybe that's what God cares about more than anything else. And we could make an argument for a lot of different things, but I want to suggest to you today that if we had to pick just one, it would be this. With what we learned last week, if the very essence of God is holiness, then the revelation of his holiness is the thing that God cares about most. And what that is called is God's glory. What is God's glory? 
And why does he care about it more than anything else? That's what we're going to look at in the Bible today. And so uh, if you go back 500 years to the, to the Reformation and you wonder what does this word glory means, one of the primary issues of the Reformation when it came to the split between the Protestant church and the Catholic church was over this issue of glory, God's glory. Who gets the glory? One of the accusations was that the Reformers were, were suggesting that the the church was taking glory for itself rather than giving it to God. And so in the 1500s, one of the primary battle calls of the Reformation was soli deo gloria. In Latin, it means only for the glory of God. Soli deo gloria, only for the glory of God. Would you say it with me? Soli deo gloria, only for the glory of God. It means nothing else should receive the glory. Not the church, not pastors, not celebrities, not money or success, not leaders or heroes, that in everything we say, think, and do, the glory should go to God and God alone. Good, but that still doesn't tell us what it means, does it? <laughs> and so what does the word glory mean? Mean Well, here, here is a basic definition. Number one, the dictionary says something like this. Glory is praise, honor, and admiration given to a person or thing. And number two, it is the quality in a person or thing that brings them fame or honor. So notice this. This is interesting. It is both a verb and a noun. It's a verb in that glory is when you look at something and say, wow, that is amazing. But it's also, even if nobody says it's amazing, it is the intrinsic quality about a person or thing that actually makes them amazing. Or let's make it even more simple than that. I love the definition that Rick McGinnis gives. He says it like this. He says that glory is that which produces a wow. Everybody say, wow, wow. And... It's not just the thing that produces the wow, but it is the wow itself. Let me give you just a little example. Uh, we used to live in Michigan, and I have had the honor a couple times to go to the Buick Open golf tournament to see Tiger Woods play. And, uh, and there were a couple of wow moments when, uh, and I want to tell you about one in particular that I, that I remember was one time I was with a group of guys. There were four of us together, and we're walking along the ropes, and we see Tiger hit his, his, his tee shot, and it goes flying over, over our heads, over the ropes, and out into the rough off of the fairway, outside of the ropes. And so we run, and we're the very first ones there. Like, we're standing right over top of Tiger Woods' ball because it's outside of the ropes. We, I mean, if we wanted to, we could pick it up and run away. I don't think that would turn out too well, but we could. He's a big dude. He might beat us up. And so, so, uh, so we're standing there right over top of Tiger Woods' ball, and other people start to rush up, but we're the first ones there, so we're kind of like, you know, we've got our spot. And so Tiger Woods comes. They lift the ropes. He comes out, and he walks right up to us, and he's checking out the ball, and he's looking at the green, and it was a long, long way. I mean, it was so far away. And so the problem was it was in the rough. So the grass was really, really thick and the ball is sitting deep, deep down in this rough, thick grass. 
And I thought, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, there's no way that he could take this shot and get it all the way to the green. That would be impossible. There's no way. And so he lines up and picks his club, and sure enough, he's going to go for it. We're like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so, so he, he gets his club, and he waggles it, and, he, and then he takes his swing, and he swings that club so hard. I mean, I swear, as the ball went through the air, I heard it saying, oh, no. I mean, the, 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 it was like the sound of the club was going whoosh, and the breeze blew us black, knocked the hair right off my head. That was the day it happened. I said, wow, 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 that was amazing. Did you see that shot? And everybody's looking around, wow, did you see that? It was a glorious shot. <laughs> but even if nobody had been there to see it, even if I wasn't there to witness it that day, it still would have been glorious whether I saw it or not. So what does that silly little explanation have to do with God? What is God's glory? It is the thing that makes it us say, wow. And it is the wow that we give. So, what is God's glory? What is it about the attributes of God? What is it that, that, that is so overwhelming that it drives us to our knees? What is the, the characteristic of God that defines the very essence of his being more than anything else? You remember, right, last week? This is not a trick question. The answer is it is his holiness. Last week, that God's ultimate glory is his holiness. John Piper says that glory is God's holiness gone public. That when, when God shows himself to be holy, what we see is called glory. Now, in case you don't believe me, and you say, Joel, I just think you're making this up. How, how do you know that this is what God cares about most? Well, let's just look at a few things in the Bible really, really quickly. Let me show you in Scripture. When God brought judgment on the enemies of Israel, it was for his Glory, Exodus 14, 4, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When God rescued the nation of Israel, it was for his glory. Isaiah 43, 6-7, the Lord says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. When God showed mercy to Israel, it was for his glory. Isaiah 48, 9 says, For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to cut you off. For my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. When God sent Jesus to the world, it was for his glory. Isaiah 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When the Messiah Jesus was born, what did the angels say? They said to the shepherds, 
glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men in whom his favor rests. When Paul explained that Jesus came not just for the Israelites, he wrote in Romans 15, 9, that Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came so the Gentiles might also give what? Give glory to God for his mercies to them. As Jesus walked here on this earth, he said in John 8, verse 50, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, the Father, and he is the judge. When his friend Lazarus was at the point of death in John eleven four, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Even sometimes bad things happen for God's glory. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew that he was about to be tortured and die to pay the price for our sins, this punishment that he did not deserve, Jesus said in John 12, 27, my heart is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. When Jesus was teaching, anyone who would follow him, he said to them this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, John 15, 8. The Apostle Paul encouraged the early Christians in Romans 15, 5, may the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, help me, help me. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be what? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? Do it all for the glory of God. Come on, folks, I'm not just making this up. This is what God cares about most. In fact, in fact, he demands it. He demands it. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And so have we proved it? That this is what God cares about most. But this is the point where we have to stop for just a second and acknowledge something that is a little uncomfortable. Something that does not look very good. In fact, what I'm about to say, especially as a pastor, is really kind of awkward when we get really, really brutally honest for a minute and recognize that very many smart, intelligent people look at this and realize something that seems like a, an inconsistency. Doesn't this idea, this idea of God passionately pursuing his own glory, doesn't this seem arrogant of God? Now, now, now I don't want to get struck by lightning or anything. But, but I, I just have to stop and recognize that this 
on the surface sounds hypocritical. Does it not sound hypocritical that God tells you and me as humans that we need to be humble while at the same time he goes around seeking his own glory, pursuing his own glory, demanding that we glorify him? That doesn't sound very good, does it? When I realized this, it it made me, when I saw this for the first time, it made me really, really uncomfortable to think, what does God need us to sing songs to him? Does he really need us to pray and tell him how wonderful he is? But even though that seems to make sense, that is in fact a wrong conclusion, and here is why. Does God pursue glory because of his ego, and the answer is no. And here's why. It's not for his conceit, it is for our compass. You see, when we give glory to God, there is something that begins to happen inside of us. C.S. Lewis, uh, when he first became a Christian, He admits how he hated this idea of singing worship songs to God. In fact, I talk to people who are like that. I just don't like all that singing and all the praise and worship stuff. And I don't. And and here's what he said C.S. Lewis said, When I first began to draw near in my belief of God, and even after I had become a Christian, I found a stumbling block, and that stumbling block was the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. We all despise the man who demands constant assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise still more the crowd of people who surrounds every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity, there simply to gratify the demands of these people. When I got that picture, it was at once ludicrous and horrible, both of God and his worshipers. It almost destroyed my striving after God. The psalmists were particularly hard for me. I read in the Psalms, Oh, praise the Lord with me and praise him. It was hideously like God was saying, What I want most is to be told that I am good and great. That doesn't sound like much of a God. Also, it sounds like it is not only that we praise God, but that quantity counts. Seven times a day I will praise thee, says one psalmist. C.S. Lewis says, I tried to sort it out and finally came to this conclusion. Finally, I saw that it is in the presence, in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. Even in Judaism, the essence of the sacrifice was not really that men give bulls and goats to God, but that in so doing, God gives himself men. In other words, in God's receiving of glory, we begin to receive something of him. Or let's put it this way, the more we glorify his holiness, 
the more His glory makes us holy. I, I, I've never heard this statement before. I hope that it's theologically sound. But this week, I just felt like, I, as I was playing with these words and how glory and holy interact and, and all that we see of God and the, the, the many passages of Scripture that, that speak of this reality, this parallel statement to me just so powerfully summed it up that the more we glorify His holiness, the more His glory makes us holy. You see, there is something that begins to happen. As we glorify Him, we are changed to be like Him. As we worship His attributes, those attributes begin to come alive in our own lives. That's why what we do around here is so important. The songs that we sing and and the words that we say and the way that we live our lives and, and as Christians, our honesty and integrity, the way we handle money, the way we handle relationships, the way we view sex, the way we treat other people in our work ethic and the ministries of the church and our outreach to the community and the offerings that we give, the tithes that we give to further the the work of his kingdom, sole deo gloria, only for the glory of God, not for us. It's not for our pleasure. It's not about our preferences or our desires. The purpose of life is in that, that everything we do everything we say, everything we think needs to be for the glory of God and God alone. And when it is, all of a sudden, this amazing thing begins to happen that the more we praise him, the more we focus on him, the more we, 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 we derive the, the nature of his character and his attributes through the word and, and, and praise and lift and glorify his name, the more we begin to become like him. It, 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 it's this amazing thing that the more we glorify his holiness, the more his glory makes us holy. Listen, listen, it's okay to give him glory because the more you give him glory, the more it'll make you. Let's let's just give him glory right now in the house today. Would you? Amen. Amen. Okay. So in just a few minutes, we're going to do that. We're going to do what we were created to do Praise and glorify his name. But before we do, there's one more thing that I want to add. And this hit me this week when I saw another Christian leader in the United States fall this week and lose his job. And and, and it hit me. I think that happened like on Thursday morning that I saw that announcement. Oh, not another one. And all of a sudden, this truth so powerfully was impressed upon me. It becomes toxic when humans receive glory and don't give it to God. As a Christian leader, one of the things that breaks my heart again and again and again is how many Christians become powerful and influential and get a big platform and they start to receive some glory in whatever arena. It's not just like church leadership in every arena, in business and 
in entertainment, in politics. People look at, but I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, as a pastor, let me say, people look at some big church pastors and treat them like celebrities. And then we get shocked when they fall into sin and crash and burn. And we wonder why. And it breaks my heart. We see it again and again. Why does this happen? And it's really simple. The reason is because we as humans were not designed to receive glory and keep it for ourselves. When people give us glory and we hold on to it and think, you know what, they're right, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. It's about time somebody noticed. When we do that and we don't give it back to God, it starts to do bad things inside of us. Glory is dangerous. I've had friends who became famous. And people start to give them some glory and it starts to go to their head. And we look at some people who are, who are rich and famous and then all of a sudden you find out beneath the surface they look like they've got it all together and then you find out beneath the surface that their life is a mess and what, what, what is going on? And you wonder, why does this happen? It's because when, when humans receive glory and keep it for ourselves rather than give it to God, it becomes toxic. In fact, you know this is what happened to Satan, right? Satan was this, this wonderful angel in the presence of God, the most powerful angel in heaven. And what did he do? Satan tried to keep some of that glory for himself. And it led to what it always leads to. It's the path to sin and destruction. But here's what's amazing about God. And this is why it's so hard for us to understand. Why? We're like, man, that makes God seem arrogant. But here's why it's different with God. God handles glory the exact opposite of how humans handle it. This is what blows our minds because we don't understand. We know how it works with humans. But here's what's different. God is both ultimately glorious and ultimately humble at the same time. See, when we get glory, it tends to go to our heads. But when God gets glory, he blesses us in love and humility. That's the difference. In speaking of Jesus, John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was the ultimate manifestation of God's glory on this earth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. In other words, if you want to understand how God's glory works, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And what did Jesus do with His glory? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 8 says, Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he, he made a choice. He made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And folks, that is the great paradox. That's why it's so hard to understand because God is both ultimately glorious and ultimately humble at the same time. And it blows our minds because that's the opposite of how the world works. Our world says that you need to glorify yourself. Our world says what you need to do is take what's yours, fight for yourself, get your own way. Shine the spotlight on yourself. That's how to get glory according to the world. But God's kingdom is the exact opposite. God says when we do that, when we put ourselves first, like everybody in the world tells us to do, that that it becomes toxic and it is the path that leads to destruction. But when we become like Jesus, who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. This crazy, amazing, surprising thing. I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is so surprising. This is the surprise ending. Here's what happens. Romans 8, 17. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Romans 8, 17. Right? I mean, how amazing is this? That when we submit ourselves to God, when we put Him first, when we seek His kingdom first and not our own, when we give Him all the glory, and whenever anybody gives us any praise, that we immediately give it back to God. That, that what happens is, in the end, we get to experience this amazing thing. Now, now not now, but in the end, in heaven, he will allow us to share in his incomprehensible glory. What an amazing and generous God we serve. Would you stand with me? God, I just want to stop and say, Father, I love your word so much. Oh, it's beautiful. And it breaks my heart how lightly we take your word sometimes. And everything we need, you've given us. If we could only see you and who you are. So, Lord, we pray that you would give each and every person who's with us today a vision of you. To see you in your holiness. To see you in your perfection. To see you in all of your beauty. To recognize your 
glory as it shines among us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are responsive. And make us like you. Forgive us for the times that we have taken praise and worship lightly. Forgive us for the times that we have thought of it as optional in our lives. Forgive us for the times that we've gotten busy with other things and thought, oh, well, we'll get to the God stuff later. Lord, we want to be a people want to be a people who are open and receptive containers filled with your Holy Spirit to overflowing in the songs that we sing as we meditate upon scripture as we serve others as we pray, may your glory shine among us and in us and through us with a radiance. Lord, that you would shine so brightly in each one of these lives represented today that when people come around us, they have to put sunglasses on because Jesus is shining so brightly. Lord, be glorified. Be lifted high today on the wings of our praise. May these be more than just words. May these be more than just melodies. May these be more than just instruments. May this be the cry of our heart.